You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts today are Oliver Altine and Lonzo Luconi, because this is another music nerd edition. This episode is mostly about rhythm, although we have a hard time confining ourselves to one topic. (laughs) But we talk a lot about rhythm and how it works in different types of music and different eras, and this concept that Lonzo calls the stream of time, which is really interesting. Uh, We also, of course, talk about Bach, because we have to. And at the end of this first segment, you get to find out who I consider to be the father of Western music. It's probably not who you think it is. Lonzo Luconi, how you doing, man? What's up? What's up? It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good again. to see you again. I know we don't see each other as often as we should. I know, I know, but it's it's always good when we uh, get together and nerd out about music and yeah, just interesting stuff in general. My wife can only take so much music nerd talk before she starts <laughs> yeah. to glaze over. Yeah, I don't get to nerd out about this stuff very often either, so this is good. Yeah. So let's talk about rhythm. Let's talk about rhythm. What What is let's, rhythm? I think you, you what, were just reading the definition of rhythm out of a dictionary there, but maybe, I don't know if we need to do that, but is rhythm something that everybody just knows what it is, or does it need to be defined here? Well, I think it's one of those concepts that that we all sort of share the same idea, but we would put it into words maybe differently, or some of us would have a hard time putting it into words. You know, it's one of those concepts that is hard to, to define. Uh, is there anything in life that doesn't have rhythm? That's the thing. I, th- I think it's as, as humans, as we are, like pattern-recognizing machines almost. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't help it, but feel or understand these patterns as rhythm. So there's rhythms of the seasons, rhythms of our day, rhythms right. of our, our year, rhythms of our speech, of our, of, speech. Our, of our movements, right? When you see like uh, martial artists, for example, dancers. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. There's, there's a huge pattern or group of patterns that are happening sometimes simultaneously that we interpret as rhythm. Right, because there's not just one thing happening at a time, at least not in my life. <laughs> right, and, but you can even isolate them, and they will have their own pattern, but they also right. interact with other patterns, which is, that's where make, makes it, starts making it really interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, we all have a beat, if we're living, we have a beating heart, which is creating a rhythm inside yeah, of us. Yeah, hopefully we do. Most of the time, <laughs> we don't notice it, but you know, if you quiet yourself and slow your breathing down, you can Oh yeah, you can feel your, your heartbeat, and, um, and that actually affects how we do things in general in our in our daily lives mm-hmm. yeah the even our emotions are reflected uh, a, a friend of mine once said that she saw mikhail barishnikov the famous ballet dancer uh, yes. do a performance and the only music was a microphone attached to his chest so you could hear his oh, heartbeat wow. so he was dancing to his own heartbeat which is pretty i wish i'd seen that that's amazing I mean, because oh, obviously man. it's going to speed up when you start getting more active. Of course, of course. And then now that you say that, it's almost like what comes first, you know, like the, the emotion or the movement or the heartbeat creates the emotion. Like what's... Uh, right. Yeah. It's all tied together. I guess. Well, it's sort of like swimming. I don't know if you're a swimmer, but when you swim, if you go faster, you can breathe sooner, but then you need to breathe more because you're right, going you faster. Right. You need to breathe more, like, more often because you're, you're using more energy and more yeah. oxygen and... Right. Uh, but sometimes just like think a, a thought 
can trigger a change in in your you know blood pressure and, and, yeah, and pulse and and all that so uh i guess everything is deeply interconnected well i think that's that's definitely the truth yeah <laughs> and of course there's also rhythm in music well that's that's basically the go-to concept or definition that that we get right away when we say so one of the rhythm. things i wanted to ask you lonzo you're mm-hmm. primarily a classical musician right right now, most of the time when people think about rhythm, they probably think about a drum beat or some kind of obvious mm-hmm. percussion. A lot of times classical music doesn't have a beat that you can hear, like somebody playing a drum set. Right. So is there still rhythm in it? Uh, well, of course. I think all music is based on rhythm. I think rhythm is the most important element of music. When people ask me about you know, rhythm, I ask the, the person, what do you think rhythm is? Yeah, and it's one of those concepts, like we were talking earlier, that's hard to define. Maybe rhythm is just the temporal aspect of music? Well, I tend to define it, you know, especially, I do this with my students all the time. And when I ask them, uh, of course, they, 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 most of them can't really define it or say it in their own words. But I, I define it as the organization of sound. The organization of sound. So how yes. is that different than the definition of music? There's not much different. It's kind of the same thing, right? But uh, as, it's, it's almost like, for me, rhythm is like the bone structure of music. Right. So how can you define a body without a bone structure? Like it's, it's in, you know, it's... Right, you have it, no it's definition. Like, it's like inherent in the, in the definition of music. Right. So, so you can't have music without rhythm then? Is there, is there such a thing as music with no rhythm? Is there? So I've asked myself that question and... and I mean, because you can have music without an obvious beat, but... But there's still values of sound, like... Yeah, I mean, duration the of, there, yeah. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's just I mean, more abstract at times, I guess. Yeah, maybe it doesn't have an, an uh, easily recognizable pattern. But as, as long as you have sound and durations of that sound, then I guess we can categorize it as rhythm. Yeah, maybe it's as long as we're moving in time from the past towards the future, there's rhythm. That's like the matrix well, I guess that, that's, the, that's, that's the only <laughs> option we have. So far. So far. As, I don't know, maybe Elon, we know. Elon Musk will figure out a way around <laughs> yeah, that eventually. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of wrong notes that I need to fix from past performances. So. But... Right. <laughs> But it's just like, that's, it's like the water that we're swimming in, like a fish, you know, there's that famous analogy where a fish doesn't know what water is, right? Because it's just all pervasive all around. Right, them. right. So it's just, we're all in it, whether we realize it or not. In a performance, you play a wrong note, what do you do? Freak out. Freak out. That's the go-to. Go, go, yeah. back, go back and fix it. <laughs> go back and fix it. When you're a performance, um, it's like you are taken by this stream of time right. where you cannot go backwards. You cannot, you know, you, there's no pause. There's nothing. It's like you're in it right. and yeah. the show must go on, you know. Many times when, when we encounter something for the first time is the most powerful time for the brain to absorb it. So in moments of crisis, we tend to let go of our conscious part, and it's like the unconscious that drives us. Uh, I see. Right, so, and if the unconscious is 
not well anchored to something as solid as rhythm, then it's anything can happen. Yeah. Yeah, I like that that metaphor. You're like stepping into a stream or a river. Like when the song starts or the piece starts or whatever, you're moving. Right. And like you can't go back and fix a note. You you're you're once you jump in, you're that's it. Even if you're not playing any notes, let's say you take a few measures of rest, the rhythm is still there. Right. Right. No. There's that continuum in time. Yeah. I usually think of it as sort of like a magic spell that gets cast over me, where I just Mm -hmm. sort of get in the zone but i like that yeah, yeah i like yeah. the river metaphor that's too. good that's, that's good. good that's good yeah and it, I, you know ideally you're casting your magic spell over the whole audience you know right and, everyone and, it, and it doesn't it stop until you play the very last note yeah so that's that's really my my philosophy of you know when it comes to teaching like rhythm first because rhythm is your your base your anchor you play a wrong note you can keep going you just feel the music uh moving forward and Basically, it's like your unconscious carries you as your your float through this stream. Right, and I'll tell you, people dance to wrong notes all night long. <laughs> right, you're right. You say that you said that last time. That yeah, was a, it's true. But you, you know, really the rhythm good. stops or it gets wonky, and it's like, nope. That's, yeah, that's yeah, it's like broke the spell. Um, uh, it's when the drummer is off. Oh yeah. It's it's a it's instant disconnect of everything. Like everything falls apart. You can be you know the guitar player can be like shredding it and not missing a wrong a single note and uh, just everybody playing clean. But if if the rhythm is off, it's just chaos. There's yeah. You like I said, the, there's no organization of of the sound. Yeah, you can't ignore um, that. Like if the guitar player plays a wrong note or whatever, you can you can ignore it and just feel the beat. You know. Right, and most of the time, if if you are really immersed in the rhythm and that pulse and that and that force driving forward, you don't even notice many of the other things. Right. But you can feel that pulse and that drive, right, and that continuum from the very first note of the piece until the end. And so, what about? You know, it's it's very common in classical music for the rhythm to get stretched and pulled. Like to be expressive, you can have like a little slowdown moment mm-hmm. to emphasize something, or especially at the end of a piece, there's like mm-hmm. a little. It's called a retardando, right? You slow right. down, and I guess this happens in you know other kinds of music too, where they slow down at the end of the song a little bit. But it seems to happen more in classical music. Um, maybe you know that's that's a, that's a very very interesting thing that you bring up. This concept of rubato, rubato, right? Yeah, you know, the rubato, um, which technically this word means robbed, robbed, right? Robbed to, rhythm. Right. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's um, we we often define it as you know like you rob it, but then you have to give it back. It's almost like borrowing, right? Yeah. If, if if you if you push, then you have to pull, or if you pull, then you have to push, right? Um, to keep that 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 balance. Um, but I think that that is just deeply rooted in in ourselves, regardless of what genre of music. I think that has to do just with our own expression. When we are plugged into this music stream, it is an, an outlet of expression. And therefore, this is going to happen. There's, there are notes that are more important than others. There are mo- notes that, that we feel more than others. right? And Two people can speak the same sentence, but maybe different words are going to be more important for them, depending on the context and depending on so many variables, right? Right. So that's sort of where I think the this this concept of of rubato comes in. It's like, okay, what's what's important about this? What do I want to emphasize? What do I don't want to emphasize? Um, right. And you may choose to to 
have a little bit more flexibility in the rhythm and or in the pulse, I guess. And sometimes not so much. Yeah, well, when you're learning music, you know, when you're learning an instrument, people talk about finding your voice, you know, your musical voice. Right. And so this is kind of a, met- you know, if you're not a singer, it's metaphorically using this mm-hmm. word voice, but still it's kind of like what you're doing. I mean, you're speaking with your instrument. We've talked right. about this before as music as a language, right? Right, exactly, exactly. And yeah. and different languages are going to have different ways of, you know, phrasing their sentences. And right. And, uh, you know, musicians and composers and performers from different parts of the world will you know, express themselves musically in different ways. And I just figure that's got to be related to their native language, whatever language they speak. Exactly. And, and, and I think deeper than that is, is rooted in our emotions. Right. Just like language is in many ways. Right. So if you slow down a little bit in a very expressive passage, then you can bring out this sort of yearning, sort of anguish to get there. Exactly. It's like telling a story. It's like telling a story, right? You can't just get to the punchline right away. Exactly. Or you, you, you just don't, speak the same way throughout the, the the whole story. My teacher used to tell me you can stretch the rhythm as long as you don't stretch it so far that you break it. Right. This was the metaphor used, like stretching a rubber band. If you pull it too hard, then it's going to break and you're going right. to lose the continuity. In jazz, for example, offbeats are really important. Right, for sure. The yeah. offbeats and sometimes even playing completely off rhythm within the rhythmic con- context yeah, it's just of the music is yeah. just part of the charm of jazz, right? Well, because a lot of the rhythms in jazz are what we call swung rhythms or swing rhythms, right. where the eighth notes are uneven, right? The first one is longer than the second right. one. And so, but there's it's a continuum, right? It's not just swung or straight. And so you can get all kinds of real subtle right. flexibility. And you don't it. have, to, and, and that's not like a rule. You may choose to do it or you may not choose to do that. Right. That's yeah. the cool thing about jazz. It's so flexible with that. You can do, you know, your eighth notes, you know, as written, or you can do the swing. Right. Because uh, you don't usually write the swing. It's just kind of understood. It's understood, right? right. Sometimes you can, but um, for the most part. And then sometimes, like the drummer and the bass player will be swinging, but I think Freddie Hubbard does this, the trumpet player, he'll play a solo that's straight even though the rhythm is swinging and it's mm-hmm. got this kind of contrast between the right. melody and but the... But there's no, there's no rule, I guess, with, with jazz. Yeah. Or it's not as strict, I guess. Yeah, there's no rules. There's just examples of what came right. before you, you know. So it's a, it's a little bit more strict in classical music, especially in Baroque and classical styles. Well, there's just um, so, so many centuries of tradition there, you know. Right, but you wouldn't express a phrase in Mozart the same way you would in Chopin or Tchaikovsky, right. you know? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so, right, yeah. Chopin, and, I mean, when we get into the romantics, there's a lot more stretching of the rhythm. Exactly, right? yeah. exactly. Um, things change. Just these tendencies change, and they change because of that need of exploration of the emotions. Um, I'm going to bring up another uh, concept, like harmony, for example. Harmony, okay. Harmony, harmony... If you compare harmony in the Renaissance versus 21st century, right? It's it's a, it's it's a whole other ballpark that we're talking about. Yeah, it's like a different, yeah, totally different art form. Yet you can trace the evolution of this, right? Right. In hindsight, you can. You, well, but then you can you can see that desire of well, what happens if we do this, or what happens if we push this limits? What happens if all of a sudden, you know, for centuries, parallel fifths were 
prohibit it or parallel octaves. And all of a sudden, right. you know, it's like, okay, Debussy comes in and he's like, no, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And then he discovers all these new sounds and colors, right? Right. And now parallel fifths are literally like the foundation on which every punk rock song is based. Exactly. Exactly. That's the chord. It's a, par- it's a parallel fifth. Exactly. Exactly. Power chord. Uh, so it's, it's very interesting how these visionaries, these pioneers, uh, yeah. break the rules on purpose in right, the name yeah. of you know discovery and, and new ways of expression right and, and i mean sometimes it's just like you know giving the finger to tradition like when punk rock comes along that's like you know that's, exactly they're not interested in following the rules they're breaking the rules on exactly purpose. that's what it's about exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah i'm so i'm a huge fan of people breaking the rules but i respect it a lot more when people learn the rules first right yeah. and then break them right and you can you can see this in other disciplines too not just music there's like the biggest innovators in different fields are people that know all the rules and then break them in right for a specific purpose they want to discover what's outside of those limits yeah you got but that's know. not a starting point you know that they did go yeah. through those you got to know what came rules. before you. That's like the roots of the tree, you know? Exactly. You know, I, I went to see John Batiste play. Do you know who John Batiste is? He's a piano player. He's the band leader on Stephen Colbert's uh, Late ah, Show. No, yeah, no, I don't know. He's don't a know. New Orleans guy, and he's just a killer piano player. Um, in New Orleans, you know, he plays jazz mm-hmm. and stuff and blues and stuff. But I heard him um, play at Chapman University, and he's doing everything. He played a little bit of Chopin. You know, he plays a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then, and then I heard him on the radio, and it was Terry Gross was interviewing him. And she was asking him about Bach. And she's like, so play a little Bach for us, if you would. Which is kind mm-hmm. of, for, to me, I'm thinking, oh, shit, if somebody just asked me that on the radio, I'd be like, okay, I'm freaking out now. Because <laughs> just busting out Bach is not always the easiest yeah. thing to do. But he was taking apart one of the two-part inventions and mm-hmm. playing it, you know, and talking about how much he respects the traditions of the past. And I just... You can hear that in his music, you know. Well, all the resources that we have this far came from there. Right. So, if, yeah. like, if you want to innovate, you have to go back to those roots. Right. You yeah. really do. If you understand what Bach was doing, for example, then you can just transform that. And that's, I mean, that's what other composers were doing, you know, at their time. Like, for example, Chopin. Chopin was... was a huge uh he he studied bach extensively yeah of course yeah but i mean their you, music is profoundly different who was it that said to make the well-tempered clavier your daily bread it was that robert schumann i think something like that box well-tempered clavier yeah, yeah. ask you a little bit more about the piano if i could now piano is technically a percussion instrument is it not um you can categorize it as a percussion i mean it has strings in it but it's not considered a string because it orchestrally anyway string means bowed string right right right. and when you play it a hammer hits a string it like yeah it's definitely a um there's percussion going on but i think there's a there's a difference between like pluck strings and and hammered hammer strings right yeah so, for example, the the harpsichord. If we're talking about keyboards, the harpsichord, I don't consider that a uh, percussion instrument because mm. the strings are plucked. Interesting. 
And harpsichord but, music, man. Let's talk about rhythm and harpsichord music for a minute. Mm-hmm. The harpsichord is a very limited instrument, right? Because there are no dynamics. All the notes are the same Right. Volume. In many ways it is, yeah. So if you just play, I mean, no matter how hard you hit them, it's going to be the same volume. So it's very uniform. And so, you know, a lot of harpsichordists, I find, get their expressive power from severely, you know, stretching and pulling and, man- and manipulating the rhythm. They do. They do. And, and so that for sure... And also the way that they articulate. Yeah, because how do you you can't how do you it. accent a note when you can't play it louder? Exactly, but you can. I guess yeah, you have to play around a lot with with time, mm-hmm. you know, with the with the pulse. So because if if you play very slow, the notes are gonna sound a little bit more detached. As you play faster, then they sound a little bit more together, because of the nature of the instrument. Um, but it's it's really fun. I don't know. Have you ever played a harpsichord before? I've messed around a little it's bit. It's yeah. really fun because um, well, it's so different from the piano, yeah. and it pops you out of the of your comfort zone, I guess, and forces you to to think and listen differently. Uh, even though you can play the same things, right? Uh, my my experience with the harpsichord is that it always seemed sort of fragile. Like it's not like this. If you're playing a grand piano, this thing's like oh a yeah, it's a, tank, it's a monster. You know? But harpsichord yeah. is much lighter. Harpsichords you know? are lighter. You cannot play as as hard. I mean, here. there's no point anyway because it's the same volume. Yeah, no but you can what. actually damage the instrument if you played it with right. the same force that you play the piano. You would break a harpsichord. <laughs> yeah, and I think they get out of tune pretty easily too, right? Uh, more so than a piano. Yeah, they require a lot of maintenance. For the most part, yeah. when I was at Cal State Fullerton, I was in the early music ensemble, and when we had a performance, they would move the harpsichord into you know the performance room wherever it was, and they would always have to retune it after we moved it. Yeah, I mean you probably have to retune a piano after you move it too, but I mean this thing uh, way depends. out of tune. It depends. It depends, and also depends on the quality on, of the of the instrument. Right. I mean, so like a, a really cheap or old piano is gonna is not gonna hold the tune as much as a new Steinway D. Let me ask you this. Was Bach an innovator? Bach was certainly a huge innovator. You think so? Absolutely. That's interesting because I don't think of Bach as an innovator. Really? How come? Well, he he used forms that were well established. He didn't like invent any new musical forms. Um, he was, I think of him as just being really good at doing the old stuff, you know? And when he died, the world was you know, seemingly ready to move on from his, I mean, all his sons and the new classical era that started literally when he dies, at least that's how we reckon it. Um, would I feel like the world was just ready to move on? Um, I, I mean, f- I, yeah. I have to say that Bach is my favorite composer of all time. So it's not, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that I don't like Bach. I just, I don't think of him as an, in, he wasn't progressive, I don't think. At least that's my perception of it. Uh, interesting. There are certain composers that marked a before and after. Right, for sure. I think that's a huge. That's evidence of innovation. Bach established a form, also that allowed other forms to flourish because of what he did. In terms of forms, I think he innovated a lot, especially with more of, the, of his freeform works. Uh, he did have a lot of of harmonic exploration that. A lot of other composers of his time did not dare to do. I mean, Bach broke the rules many times. I mean, who finished a piece in the dominant chord at that time? I mean, he, that, that's, right. that's so, not, not all the time. I mean, not he, all the time, but, but he, even if you do it once and you dare to do it, I mean, 
how many times is there crossing of voices in his in his music? Yeah, I don't know. I guess you I know, just see his, his work as sort of the culmination of things that sort of, you know, he was a synthesis, right? And it culminates... Without a doubt, yeah. Bach, but yeah, I don't know. And I think that in his later life, he was considered pretty conservative, like an old stick in the mud. That's what I, That's how I think he was perceived. You know, the guy that took over his job in Leipzig when he died um, in 1750, just threw away all his scores. Used them for sandwich mm-hmm. wrappers, you know what I mean? That's, you bring up something very interesting. Um, a lot of the times it's not, their work was not valued at the time. He was right. not understood, maybe as well. Yeah, perhaps at his time during his time, maybe he was not as radical as Debussy or Schoenberg, but I think he certainly contributed. Actually, so much so that many scholars consider him as the father of Western music. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, the father. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of Western music before Bach came along, so I don't know if I would call him the father. I mean, I, he's certainly a giant. I mean, you know, there's no doubt about it. But the father of Western music? I would think it would have to go earlier than Bach, right? I would say, who's the father of Western music for me? This is a good question. Mm-hmm. Let me think for a second. For me, the father of Western music, I would say, is a guy named Guillaume Dufay. Who I think probably mm-hmm. a lot of people don't no, he's not like a household name. So we're talking, you know, early 15th century. And to me, this is when music started to sound like Western music sounds, where harmony started to make sense in the way that it makes sense to our ears today. Because before this, you know, you have Leonin and Perrotin, the Notre Dame school, and then Machot, who was sort of real medieval sounding. Mm. I guess I mean like post-medieval. Yeah, because you said, I guess this whole movement culminates with Bach, like you said. Maybe yeah. that's why he's considered like, okay, he he really got it. Right. A lot like, of he was the one that really put it together and got it and and, and now right. in he put it in such a way that we can move on from here. You know, so it's like, okay, this Yeah. This that's is a good way to put it. Yeah. This is, you know, all this stuff that people were doing before, um, very experimental and stuff. He just put it together and hey, and said, "Hey, this is he, he this is how it's together. done." <laughs> yeah, for him because it's the German style, the French style, and the Italian style, were right. like three main European styles at the time, and they just come together. Yeah, the German rigor, the lyrical spirit of the Italians, and the elegance of the French. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to The Authenticity Show, Music Nerd Edition, with your hosts Oliver Altine and Lonzo Luconi. In this next segment, I bring up the idea that with technology, music may be too perfect now. We talk about trance states and compositional processes that use rhythmic layering. Uh, And then we get into a really nice discussion about our favorite prog rock bands. Who's your favorite prog rock band? You know, sometimes I feel like music is too perfect these days. You too know? perfect. Music is so perfect these days. You know, I guess maybe I'm talking about pop music, but even jazz, you know, like if you listen to a recording, it's so perfect. Mm. You know, you record to a click track, so everything exactly the same tempo all the way through. 
Right. And, you know, everyone's got their little earpiece in when they're mm-hmm. performing. And it's like, it's almost like, you know, it's like a cyborg music, like part <laughs> human, part machine, you know, which is cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like electronic music, but like there's some, I feel like there's something, some human element that maybe, if, if not missing, then at least has been de-emphasized. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I also think it's because of the technologies that we have developed this far. You know, they're just new resources, new so, instruments. So convenient, so easy. So easy, yeah, so great, true. Like anybody can make music now because yeah. of technology. You know, you don't you don't have to have uh, you know a PhD or a DMA in, in music yeah. to. That's true. It's sort of like the yeah. democratization of music. Right, right. It, which you know, in many ways, can be a good thing. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, there's like yeah. I mean, some of the music that I put together for this show, mm-hmm. I, just, I whip up in 30 minutes, whip up a little tune, get a beat, put a melody right. there, it's done, put a bow on it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, well, and you just punch everything in a computer and right. you can have yeah. playback and all this stuff that, you know, composers from the 16th and 17th, 18th century did not have. <laughs> they had yeah. to play everything themselves. And if you if you listen to it, you know, one of these old Led Zeppelin recordings, you know, I'm mm-hmm. a big Led Zeppelin fan. Yeah. They're, you know they're not quantized they're they're just playing those things and sometimes yeah. the song ends at a slightly faster tempo than it started at and that's maybe not ideal but you know sometimes sometimes it happens have you heard have you heard um the open recording sessions of the beatles no i don't think so they just have the mic running oh okay and then they just they talk and they, you know, mess around and make right, jokes okay, and yeah. they have conversations. The, the producers come in and, you know, it's it's so it, like free flow and, you know, it's almost like whatever happens, it happens. And, you know, if it didn't, if they didn't like it, they'll just play it again. And, and but everything is, you know, continuously right. recording and it's such a free flow yeah. way. And, and you listen to the recordings and they're far from perfect, man. Yeah, but it's sure. so much fun, and you, you, yeah, it's it's, it's got that you know life to it, and yeah, because they were they had such great personalities, but they also had a great producer. They do, they did, but George, they George had Martin a producer was... that understood that. Right. Yeah. They, he understood that their music, their style, their character didn't need to be perfect. It was right. just find the way it was. Right. Yeah, yeah. He just let them be them. You know. And Ringo, I feel like Ringo is a great be... drummer. You know, I sometimes people talk shit on Ringo. Maybe because he wasn't as creative, he wasn't as much of a songwriter as the other guys. But like, man, Ringo was great. Ringo I, was a great drummer. He was amazing. Still yeah. is. He had this feel. He had a certain type of feel, you know. It's a little bit jagged, a little bit. But he was creative. Like you listen to a song like "Come Together." Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think there's a traditional drum beat in that whole song. There's all these different like tom fills and like, you know, it's just if you really listen to the drums, it's really surprising. Yeah, I just. I think he just did his own thing. That's that's the cool part about most of 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 their music is just they just they're just having fun and doing their own thing. They're not okay. they're not um, worried about meeting a certain formula or any of this stuff. They just right. they were doing it was that, fun until you know? it wasn't anymore. And then, and then yeah, up. I guess I guess I guess so. But yeah, uh, I th- I think that's. An you know, entirely different topic. Pers- personally, I'm kind of glad the Beatles... I mean, for me, the Beatles got better with every album. I know others mm-hmm. would probably disagree, but the last four albums were Sgt. Pepper's, The White Album, mm-hmm. Let It Be, Abbey Road, and those are my 
top four Beatles albums and Abbey Road is the best, that, mm. in my opinion. And I'm afraid that if they stayed together, they would have started sucking. <laughs> you know? And that would have been difficult. May, maybe. I, I guess it takes something really special. You know, it's like a, it's like marriage for, you know, a band like yeah. this, oh, especially sure. if, if they have, if they have such a long trajectory, yeah. uh, they have to really learn how to, you know, be with each other and, yeah. and function and, as, as an organism. Yeah. I, I know from personal experience that when you start bringing your girlfriend to band practice, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, that's, it's, it's tough. <laughs> Distraction. Yeah. <laughs> the girls. But um, talk, talking more about electronic music now, mm. like like I said, I love some electronic music. One of my favorite bands is Tycho. I don't know if you know about Tycho. Tycho. They're so cool. I don't know exactly what subgenre of electronica it is, but it's chill, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like we were talking earlier about going into a trance with the with the rhythm and yes. just kind of being in the river. Something about the way Tycho puts rhythm together puts me in a very specific kind of trance state, and it's it's. Immediate. As soon as I hear it, it's like, okay, here I am. When we talk about rhythm, and we have a specific pulse, and we keep this pulse regular, right, consistent, we can get really creative even within this boxed, frame of rhythm mm-hmm. and, and, and rhythmic values. This is just like having a canvas, an, right, a, right. A, a blank canvas. A blank canvas with a grid on it, though. Well, a canvas has to have, have limits, right? It's, yeah. I, but then within that canvas, we can do so much. Right. Yeah. So we can subdivide, we can create different patterns, we can create uh, opposing patterns. We can create patterns, regular patterns, and then start playing around by shifting them. Right. You know, like you know, a lot of composers did, especially you know, late 19th century and 20th century. And, right, yeah, yeah. And especially with computers now, you can also visualize this very easily. Right, yeah. And you don't actually have to even be able to play it. No, right? no. All you have to understand is... <laughs> you just have to think it and just somehow understand the software. Yeah, just yeah. and understand the frame. Right, This yeah. is This is the frame where you're, you know, creating your art and... and yeah, so it's almost like... Like the pressure is a little bit even more since we have so many tools at our disposal. There's no excuse to not make something amazing, right? Because you can, you know, you don't have to play the bassoon mm-hmm. part yourself. You know, you can just exactly you magic can, at your fingertips. You can have a MIDI controller that plays the bassoon for you. And, right. Yeah. And there you go. You just gotta <laughs> learn. The... I don't know why I thought of a bassoon. <laughs> <laughs> Such an it's an interesting instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But so with this rhythm, you can start layering these patterns right the, layering and this this is like a, a 20th century compositional technique layering yes right it's almost like it goes with with the visual arts too like that's it's new a new way to put things together yes yes and and, and when i say new i mean you know 100 years old <laughs> or more <laughs> yeah i mean there's there's i guess just the concept of harmony is already a form of layering okay but i can see that yeah rhythmic layering I think really exploded in the 20th century. Right. Yeah, for sure. And um, one of my favorite rhythmic pieces, I guess, I guess you'd say it's pure rhythm. It's it's called clapping music by a composer named Steve Reich. Steve Reich. Yeah. Do, do you know this? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know this song? 
it's two people yeah. in, in, a, in, a micro, in a microphone and they're just clapping and it's like they start out with the exact same rhythm and then one of them gets phased one eighth note Right, over. they shift. The, that's the shifting they that shift I was talking it, about. And then yeah. the next measure, it shifts again. And eventually after 12 measures, it, it so happens. It's it like they close the loop. Again. Yep, they yeah. close the loop. We should play that, actually. Yeah, let's, let's listen to an excerpt. Yes. It's so simple, and it's like, if you look at it, it's just one page, you know, this this song. Clapping it's, music. It's uh, 12 bars? 12 bars. 12 yeah. bars. Yeah, it's just 12 each bars. Of, each of which is repeated, I think, 12 times. Right, so to complete the loop. But it's just one person shifts. Yeah, and it's very difficult. It's so it's simple. Extremely difficult. Like, it's an easy, easy concept. If you can see a performance of this on YouTube, you know, and it's like... Actually doing this, that's that's great. You can tell a computer to do it, but actually do it live. It's pretty cool to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. So th that that complexity of, of rhythmic layering and stuff, I mean, you can do this in very subtle ways or very obvious ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people become very artful using these elements to put the, the listener into this trance state that you were talking about. Right. Or in the specific state that we want them to be. I mean, if we... if we, Yeah, it's almost uh, like, you know, taking a pharmaceutical drug or whatever. How do I want to feel? You know, let's dial up mellow or let's dial up, you know, intense. We exactly, but also music, it varies. Right? It varies with each listener too because a lot of people can't stand music like this where it's like so repetitive mm -hmm. in a way that it's like annoying, right? Right. Well, it depends uh, on your personality, but a lot of electronic music is categorized just by the tempo, by how fast it is. Sure. You know, you can have, you know, faster techno that's like 140 beats a minute or mm. chill wave that's slower, but like, it's like, almost like the tempo is the most important defining characteristic of the subgenre. Tempo and the note values too, also like the, the density of sound, I guess, like how many, how much sound does it have, you know, how many layers, how, how many simultaneous percussive or melodic sounds we hear at, at once. So who's your favorite progressive rock band? Do you have a favorite? I like Dream Theater. Theater's awesome. I like, um, they're very technical. Yeah, but they're, so, yeah, they're amazing. They're, they're cool. I haven't listened to them for a while, but I remember hearing some stuff. Oh, yeah, stuff I've been to their concerts and stuff. There. I've met one of the oh, band yeah, members, yeah. too. I met Jordan oh. Rudis a couple of times. And wow, nice. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, um, with music like that, we were talking about music being interesting and how not everyone yeah. requires that of their music, you know, but the, the prog rock is interesting all the way through. That's for, that's for the yes, yes. more cerebral people. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I've, I've always been a fan of King Crimson myself. King Crimson, although yeah. you know he's older though. They're a little, bit, they're a little bit hit and miss. Yeah, they've been around since like eighties. Uh, actually, their first album in the Court of the Crimson King was nineteen sixty nine. 
But they've, well, they've, they've been through a lot of, uh, you know, lineup changes and stuff over the years. And not everything is my favorite, but in general, they're pretty interesting. They're still, they're still doing they're it. They're still too. going, right? Yeah. yeah. I saw them, last time I saw them was maybe 10 years ago. And actually, think talking about rhythm, um, on their last tour, which I missed, uh, they had three drummers. What? Yeah, three, drum, <laughs> three drummers in the band. In, like <laughs> with traditional drum sets or? They, well, I mean, they're all multi instrumentalists, really yeah, interesting yeah. musicians. But yeah, th- three drum sets on stage. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, 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 I find the, the, this progressive genre very interesting especially because it's so open and it also requires an incredible amount of skill yeah as an instrumentalist sure. yeah and rhythmically interesting like tool for example you know tools great yeah tool is they're amazing they're, they're amazing the, and they're not even in the crazy side of uh, yeah they're they're yeah they're pretty conservative <laughs> they're rather reserved <laughs> i guess but like progressives I, yeah their album um lateralis is just rhythmically so interesting mm. i think There's a local band here from L.A. that I actually met during uh, the NAMM show. I've been a huge fan of them for a while. They're called uh, an Endless Sporadic. An Endless Sporadic? Yeah. Oh, I haven't heard of them. Yeah. Um, they are very interesting, and they play different instruments themselves. They're formidable musicians, all of them. Cool, I'll have to check them and, out. Uh, and they're really cool people, too. Huh. I feel like three of them are Brazilian. They make some pretty badass music. So do they bring their Brazilian uh, musical influence no. with them to mm. Prague Rock? Because Br- Brazil's got its own kind of musical profile. Yeah, I guess I guess so. In some, cause the mean, interesting they, thing about them is all like these breaks and transitions that they, they have be, you know, between their songs, and the, everything they play is instrumental. Okay, right. They don't really have lyrics, and for me, if it's a you know personal preference, I like instrumental music better. Oh, okay, yeah. interesting. That's why I like Dream Theater, but I like Liquid Tension better because it's, it's this essentially the same thing, but without without a singer. Liquid Tension, Liquid Tension Experiment is the same. Oh, I don't know this band. There's the same people just without a singer. Oh really? Yeah, oh, yeah okay. it's the same. Okay, well, okay. Maybe, yeah. I'll have to check them out. Yeah, oh, yeah, cool. check them out. I think before that it was Liquid Tension Trio. Liquid Tension Trio, that's a good name. But um, yeah, check them out. They have pretty awesome music. But right on. Yeah, no, I I don't. I, I like music with vocals, but sometimes in the prog rock world, the vocals to me get a little bit annoying. There's this like falsetto thing that people do. Yes. Like if you listen to Yes, it's like there's yes. a lot of falsetto, and it's like, oh, come on, man. Mm-hmm. I guess that's true in you know like disco and stuff like that too, but. I'm not. I'm not a fan of like the sustained male falsetto in in a rock music setting. <laughs> personally, <laughs> there's actually a, a you know I I agree with you and but there's one exception that also came across a band a few years ago called Project R N L. Project R N L. Yeah, Project R N L. They have they have some instrumental stuff, um, but they have vocal stuff. But it's not always lyrics. Oh, okay. It's a lot of like 
jazzy bebop with progressive rock. It's very creative. They're amazingly creative. And in fact, Jordan Rudis collaborates with them quite often. Okay. Uh, so yeah, check them out. It's they're super fun. Speaking of prog rock bands, are you familiar with Brand X? No, no. They're, they're a prog rock band from the seventies. Phil Collins is the drummer. Really? Yeah, I believe it's pre-Genesis, or it might have been happening at, at the same time. Brand you know, Phil X. Collins from Genesis. Yeah, Brand X. Oh man, just blistering like rhythms, just crazy. It's really that's, cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, people think of Phil Collins. Obviously, he's from Genesis, and a lot of a lot of people I think probably think of him as the singer, right, from the Invisible Touch album mm-hmm. and stuff. But like going back, you know, he's the drummer, and he's just a kick-ass drummer. You know, a band I heard recently um, that I'm just falling in love with uh, is called the Fearless Flyers. Have you ever heard of these guys? I was getting, you know, ads on my Facebook, you know, feed and everything. You know, they were targeting me, I guess. But yeah. like, <laughs> man, the Fearless Flyers, check these guys out. They are so freaking funky. I mean, I don't know. They look like, and there's this drummer, Nate Smith, mm-hmm. who's just like kind of just this funk wizard on the drums. It's so amazing. It's it seems kind of simplistic, but the music is just unbelievably funky. So check it out, Fearless Flyers. Oh yeah, that's awesome. They do a I funk will. version of Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid. <laughs> I love oh, those. It's so cool. I love those. I love those band that bands that get really creative and then they sort of take these covers and they completely transform them. Actually, yeah. Project RNL does that quite a bit. Okay. Nice. Even even with songs by Taylor Swift. Okay. And stuff like that, they actually make that music very interesting. <laughs> you know, I was saying the other day when I saw John Baptiste, the uh-huh. the pianist, play at Chapman University, he played Wrecking Ball. Oh yeah. By M- Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus. Cyrus yeah. That's by. Yeah, yeah. He, he 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 kind of just threw that in, and it was like, wow, he did it <laughs> That's in hilarious. his own way. It was a medley. There was, I think, there was some Chopin, some James Booker, some Professor Longhair, and some Miley Cyrus in the mix. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's, that's cool. very interesting. I, I have to check it out. I have to check out this guy. Have you ever listened to music that you find very interesting, but you don't particularly like? Like you don't create that emotional link, but you you still. Yes. regard it as interesting every and you time, would listen to it every time i listen to stravinsky that's how i feel really yeah stravinsky is unarguably interesting but i just don't like it i don't i'm i'm sorry uh-huh. i don't like stravinsky. <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel about stravinsky actually i agree very much with you i but, guess there's some music by him because he went through so many faces uh i mean to talk about interesting rhythms or if you talk about the rite of spring i mean oh yeah yeah like wow i mean I can appreciate the power of it, even though I, I mean, I'm never going to listen to the Rite of Spring, you know, on my drive to work. I'm, right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, That's just me, though. I feel like Stravinsky is very cold, you know, very cold. And uh, some of my musical heroes love Stravinsky, like Frank Zappa, for example. Frank Zappa. Who was a huge Stravinsky fan um, and very much influenced by Stravinsky. And you can hear that in his music. Yet I love Zappa and Stravinsky uh, leaves me cold. So I don't know what that is. You think Stravinsky is cold? I think Stravinsky is cold, yes. Interesting. So, for example, I consider Debussy extremely cold. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I don't And I love it. I love Debussy. 
He's so rich and warm to me. Did you say? <laughs> oh my God. I was having a conversation with uh, one of my students the other day. Uh, he's 10 years old, by the way. Okay. And uh, he's a very gifted kid. We were talking about the difference of styles in, you know, composers of different eras. And I had to find a way to explain to him the difference of playing romantic music versus impressionistic or neoclassical mm-hmm. or Baroque as well. For a 10-year-old, you know, typically romantic music comes a little bit harder because it requires a little bit more emotional maturity, especially with the bigger, heavier works. And for some reason, like more modern music, it's easier because of that detachment, emotional detachment. Right. With yeah, it. I can see that for sure. How I managed to describe this was that when you're playing romantic music, you're the driver. The driver. You're okay. the driver. So you feel every note. You're in control of every single note and you decide how much or, or how little mm. you know, heart or whatever it is that you put into. You, know, you, you, you are a lot more in control of this intensity. Okay. Uh, but when you're playing music by Debussy or, or uh, Shostakovich, you're more of an observer. You're more of a passenger where you mm-hmm. can admire, you can observe, but you don't, you don't get involved. You don't get emotionally involved. You can... Interesting. Okay. Um, he got it right away. I was surprised. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting though, because I feel that way about modern music in general, but I, I guess I don't put Debussy in that category. I would feel like Debussy would be like, you want to get behind the wheel and just milk every last ounce of lushness. Well, that, that, that doesn't mean that you're not, that you're not, um, there's moments of great intensity in their music, but it's from the outside. It's like looking at fireworks. And in fact, uh, Debussy has a prelude called Fireworks. just very colorful but it's very outside it's like a show like you're watching a show but with Debussy you're watching the show with Chopin you are the actor (laughs) you're doing it but there's composers that have a little bit of both and I consider Stravinsky one of those Hmm. where he can be extremely detached and cold like you said but other times it's like holy crap like this is his heart yeah I recently got uh, well I guess it was about 10 years ago I got back when I was listening to CDs (laughs) before CDs became toasters you know, um, I got the complete works of Stravinsky on 26 CDs and I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to listen to it. I listen, so over the course of a few weeks, I listened to all 26 CDs and I, wow. was, that, I, was, I was like, I never need to listen to that again. <laughs> it was such a good deal. It was like $25 for a 26 CD complete works of Stravinsky. It yeah, that's like, amazing. Wow, how can I not buy that? Yeah. Well, so that, I have it if you want it. Nice <laughs> the collection. I'll give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> Do you still listen to CDs? I don't. I almost never listen to CDs I don't, anymore. Um, Some of my students like don't even really. They're like, "What's that? Oh, it's a CD." It's like really. Yeah. <laughs> Am I that old? But yeah, yeah, like CD player in the house. Most a lot of people don't have anymore. You know what I mean? You know, I remember when I was in college, I used to spend hours and hours in the library listening to music, and by accident, I discovered that when you put a, a CD in your computer, you can actually save the music into your iTunes. Mm-hmm. From that, yeah, from, right. uh, yeah. but this is 2009, mm-hmm. and uh, it was like such a huge discovery for me. So I would, I yeah. s- started going to the library every day, just getting CDs and just putting them in my computer, and then just returning them. Yeah. I acquired probably like almost close to a terabyte of music. 
Wow, that's a like lot. Like almost the entire library. So I had to put it in an external hard drive. and yeah, yeah, for sure. But nowadays, even the idea of having an electronic musical library is almost unnecessary because you can just stream everything, right? Right, right. Like you don't need to... The idea of ownership of music is a little bit outdated maybe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I lived through that era of the transition, you know, where the cassettes were... Right. a huge thing and then the right. transition to cds right, yeah. and then from that to mp3s and now to just live streaming i guess right yeah um uh, you probably saw more of the also the turntable and the yeah uh yeah i still have that a, i still have a, a turntable yeah um i would have loved to i mean i i my dad used to own one and, and i would yeah. love to my know, dad used to, to music listen to real to real music he had the real to real machine you know with the actual yeah magnetic oh tape. my god yeah and I just recently, my dad died about five years ago, and I had his collection of reel-to-reel music, and I was holding on to it, but I was just like, there's just no way I'm going to... So I ended up throwing oh, it away. It was, yeah. you know, a lot of classical music, you know, reel-to-reel. It's like, shit. Yeah. Should have donated it or something. Uh, I don't know. Actually, we took apart one of the reel-to-reel machines, me and my kids, and uh, we took it apart in the garage, and we made some art out of it. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's cool. You've the art on my walls, yeah. Yeah, garage that's cool. Garage art, we call it. That's cool. Pretty soon, wax cylinders are going to come back into style, right? Wax <laughs> cylinders. <laughs> come check out my wax cylinder collection. <laughs> yeah, what's gonna? What's coming next? What do you think is happening now, or what's coming? Well, I don't think we're very far off from having implants. You can get an implant probably behind your ear or in your ear, so you don't even need headphones anymore. Mm. I mean, that might even actually be already a thing. <laughs> I don't know. What's What's going to be a hundred years from now? Who knows? Yeah. Like how's how's music gonna be created, performed, stored, yeah, sold? Because ultimately, music is a human activity. I mean, wouldn't you agree? We're still gonna need actual humans to make actual music. Um, I hope. Is it all gonna be computers making it, composing, computer oh, composers? Wow. I think AI is gonna play a huge part in it. It already does with graphic arts. Oh yeah. Yeah, a, a robot can paint uh, or can make a much better painting than a Mona Lisa or can replicate the Mona Lisa in minutes. We're all going to be out of a job. <laughs> even musicians, yeah. even what we thought was considered a human activity. No, but I think they're, they're you know, and, and going back to what we were talking about, like music being so perfect in these, um, you know, studio production settings, but also... Or the difference between the, those live performances and these studio production, mm -hmm. um, that uh, the, the there's it, it's so much more human to listen to people just like really physically strumming their guitar or you know playing the piano or hitting those drums live mm -hmm. and you know right. getting all those, those and actually doing it live is even doing better. it live exactly <laughs> yeah. like like creating it there on on the spot and yeah I I, I feel like there's I don't know maybe I could be just <laughs> you know not wanting the world I know to change, but it seems like there's always going to be a place for improvisation in music. For me, improvisation right. is my favorite part of when I'm actually playing music. I like to improv. I'm an improviser, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, it, like when somebody goes to a concert and they say, Oh, it's great. It sounded exactly like the album. It's like, to me, that doesn't sound great. Oh I yeah. Yeah. I don't like that either. I don't like that either. You I mean, just, you don't even need to pay a hundred bucks for the ticket or whatever. You know? Exactly. Exactly. I no, wanna, I, I, I want to see people take chances. on. Stage, exactly. You, know? you want to, you, well, you want to see, a little bit more of that raw emotion, I think, yeah. or that or that openness, that vulnerability of a human being on stage mm -hmm. 
just doing what they do and just displaying their talent and and just putting themselves out there and yeah you know there's this guy named bob brosman you know who that is i don't know bob uh he's brosman. he's dead now i think he died maybe seven or eight years ago but he, he think he's sort of like the tasmanian devil of the hawaiian slide guitar okay <laughs> he's like crazy good and like really interesting and i saw him play once and he said before he started he said i i project i will have about a five percent error rate tonight because i'm going to be improvising and trying out new things and who knows what's going to happen and if i don't make any mistakes then i didn't you know i didn't I, push myself I didn't push, yeah, said, wow if you're not living on the edge you're taking up too much room he said <laughs> <laughs> so i was like okay this is cool i'm, I'm i love that phrase if you're not living on, on the edge you're taking up too much room yeah Wow. You've been listening to the Authenticity Show, Music Nerd Edition. Special thanks to my music nerd buddy, Lonzo Luconi. It's always a good time. Make sure to subscribe to the Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes, Android Market, Stitcher Radio, and we are on Spotify now, which is nice. You can find us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and, you know, leave a comment, leave a review. It That stuff really helps. We appreciate it. This show was produced by Oliver Altin. That's me. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altin. That's me, too. Our website is AuthenticityShow.com. Thank you for listening, and have an authentic day. <laughs>